Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Now we're in a series called To the Full. And our base text for this series is John 10, 10, where it says, I have come that you may have life and have life and have it to the full. And so we've been talking about this full life idea. What is this full life idea? And so, you know, last week we talked about how this was not, did not catch God by surprise. It wasn't like, you know, sin came into the garden. God said, oh, no, I didn't see that coming. What do I do now? And that he kind of had to invent some plan B so that, you know, uh, we can have salvation. No, we talked about how this was actually very much by intention, purposeful by God. God knew exactly what was going to happen. God knows what needs to happen. He knows your past, he knows your future, and you can rest in that. You can trust him with your life. I think another idea or way we can characterize a full life is that it's also a powerful life. Now, I'm going to qualify that in just a second, but what I mean by this is the transformational power of Jesus Christ that happens in my life. When I, I, I pinch myself sometimes because if I look at my own life and I look at the history of my family, I come, Rich Green comes from a legacy of men who were divorced, and I'm not if you're here and you've been divorced, it's not a critique against you. It's not at all. I'm just talking about my history. I was, come from a legacy of men who were divorced and who were alcoholics. That's been, that, if I go back into my history, I could go all the way back, and that's what you'll find in my history. And that, that's really where I should be, except, except for the transformational power of Jesus Christ. Except for the fact that 42 years ago, I said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And I surrender all these potential things that could happen in my life. I, could, I surrender the, 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 the desires for things. I just surrendered all that to you, God. And then started this process of experiencing the transformational power of Jesus Christ in my life. I pinch myself today. It's like I cannot believe I'm here. Except for Jesus. So life to the full, I think, would be also characterized as a powerful life. But let me... Let me explain that a little bit because culturally, when we talk about a powerful life, oftentimes culture, what we mean is it's marked by position, by, by, by privilege, by fame, by talent, by wealth, by affluence. That's what we mean by powerful life in our culture. But when Jesus came, he didn't come with any of that. In fact, Jesus came in weakness. Now think through this with me a little bit. Was Jesus Okay, all of you, many of you have experienced Jesus. Was Jesus weak? No. He's all powerful, right? And yet he chose weakness. He clothed himself clothed himself with weakness. Philippians 2, Paul talks about this. He says, he made himself nothing. And so it begs the question, Why? Wouldn't it, been a, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it have been a lot easier for, for God just to send his son as this mighty conquering king and basically establish his rule and that was it? And if you're not going to follow, you're out? 
I mean, that seems like it might have been simpler or easier. But he chose weakness. Why? Why Mary, for example? Just a little teenage girl. I mean, like if they were looking for the top 100 candidates who could be the mother to the son of God, I don't think Mary would have been chosen. She was just a simple, ordinary girl. And then we got Joseph, really? I mean, this is, it doesn't seem like the right way for Jesus to be born into this world. Joseph was a poor carpenter, too poor to support a family. In fact, when they were taking Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, Levitical law says that you had to buy a lamb and sacrifice the lamb for your firstborn male child. Joseph couldn't afford that. And so instead, Levitical law gave permission for two doves or two uh, pigeons to be sacrificed. And that's what they did. Do you see the irony in this? That Jesus comes into this world is parented by Joseph and Mary, and they are so poor that they cannot afford a sacrificial lamb for the sacrificial lamb, Jesus. Isn't that crazy? And so why? Why this? Why, why a manger? Why Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth was like this no, nothing town, basically. In a manger, we, we, we kind of color that up a little bit for us in our sing about it because it sounds better than saying a feeding trough, right? Because that's what it was. It's a feeding trough. Why? Why this? Why would it go down this way? I mean, you would expect that Jesus, this all-powerful being, would be born like in a palace, but instead he was born in simplicity and humility and weakness. Is it, is it that God just didn't plan this very well? Like it caught him by off, off guard, by surprise, and so he just had to kind of pull, throw a plan together? We know that's not true because it tells us that from the foundations of the world, this was planned. Is it that God just didn't have the resources? Like I can't afford a palace on earth, or it's just gonna, he's gonna have to be born in a manger? <laughs> That's not true either. We know that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We know that he owns everything. God was not lacking in resources. So why Mary? Why Joseph? Why Nazareth? Why shepherds? Why a manger? Why? I mean, we sing about it romantically at, during Christmas time. You know, that song, there's that little line in that song, the cattle is lowing. <laughs> just makes us feel good, but the fact is, is that there was a cow in the delivery room. <laughs> That's like not a power move. That's not like a way to make a statement that, man, we, the king of kings has come. So why? Why weakness? And here's what I think. I think and I know scripture supports this, but I think it's because weak, weakness welcomes the power of God. Weakness welcomes the power of God. That was true then, and it's true now. Weakness invites the power of God. Jesus came in weakness, so that he, and he came for the weak. And the reason why he came for the weak is so they can experience the power of God. 
And many of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about because you have experienced the power of God in your life. You've, you've experienced forgiveness of sin. You've experienced restoration of relationships. You've experienced God just doing some amazing transformational work internally inside of you to think differently about yourself. It's the power of God at work in you. I mean, if Jesus had been born like into a royal family, people might have looked at that and said, yep, that's what happens when you, when you, when you have political power, right? If he had been born into a noble city, that they would say, yep, see, that's what fate does. Right time, right place. If he had been born into a well-educated family, they would have said, yeah, you see, that's what education does. But that's not what happened for Jesus. Jesus was born in weakness. And so when you read the story, this is what you conclude. That's what God does. Because what you see, the circumstances around Jesus, what you see, there's just no path forward except for God. God's power is manifest in weakness. I think sometimes I feel like God wants to, like God stacks the deck against himself. Like he kind of creates a very impossible scenario, a very weak scenario, and then says, watch this. Let me show off a little bit. And, it's, you know, I understand that word doesn't sound good to you, but that's what God does. He demonstrates his power. Now, I think the Apostle Paul had a hard time with this a little bit at the beginning, this idea of weakness. I mean, in 2 Corinthians, you find, you know, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and Corinth was a lot like the Western world that we live in. They're a city that put a premium on power and, and wealth and status, political kind of might, um, that was what Corinth was. <clears throat> and so he's, he's uh, writing this letter to the Corinthians, and in 2 Corinthians, they're like challenging his credentials. They're just saying, like, who, who are you really? Who are you to tell us what to do? Like they had other people they would follow and stuff. And so Paul, Paul kind of gets caught up, sucked into that questioning, and so he, he responds back. He kind of talks to this, and he says, I was born in the right family. I had the right education. I had the right, I've had the right credentials and accomplishments. And then he says these things about himself. And then it's like he realizes, okay, I'm taking this a little bit too far. Like, okay, yeah, I do have all those things. But I want to make it very clear that it's not because of those things that God has used me. But it's through my weaknesses that I have actually experienced God's power. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says this about what God told him about that specific idea. My grace is all you need. This is God speaking to Paul. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Like grace is all you need. Grace is more than enough. Another way of saying it is that it's never not enough. No matter what your situation you find yourself in, no matter what challenges you're facing, no matter what relational struggles you're encountering, his grace, his grace is always, always, always enough. Today, tomorrow, next year, it's always enough. And then it's like God you know, says to Paul, what I believe he really wants to say to all of us today is, <clears throat> do you want to live this life of power? Do you really want to experience this full life that's characterized by this transformational power of God? Then there's how you do this. Boast in your weakness. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my power works best in weakness, so now I am glad 
I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. So that, so I boast about my weaknesses, which is really hard, by the way. None of us in this room actually want to do that. We're not going to have like a receiving line on the door on the way out as you walk out. So let me just tell you all how weak I really am. We don't do that. It's not something we do in our culture, right? Paul says he boasts in his, about his weaknesses so that, why does he do that? So that the power of Christ can work through me. Our weaknesses make a way for the power of Christ to be demonstrated. And so if that's true, Paul says, then my only, I mean, the only rational thing to do is to boast in my weaknesses. Now, most of us, we don't want that. We, we hide our weaknesses, right? We don't. Yeah. You're like looking at me. I don't know, Rich. I don't hide my weaknesses. We all do. We don't want really to brag about it. We don't want to tell, go around. What we do instead is we posture and pretend. Like we could, be, we could come to church and it is a mess at home. And we walk into church and we're like, yeah, we're such a happy family. You know, that's just, we just posture and pretend. And I get that. I'm not, it, all of us do it at some level or another, right? Last year, I, uh, I took a, a three-month sabbatical. And uh, I, ha- I had never had a sabbatical up to that point. And so I'd been in ministry for 37 years at that point, and I'd never taken a sabbatical. And that might sound, you might hear that and say, oh, well, good for you, Rich. You, you were strong. You were awesome. But here's the sinister reason why I had not taken a sabbatical. I didn't want to appear weak. I didn't want you to think that I was weak. And so... I was hurting myself. I was posturing and pretending. I think this is where most of us are, right? We want to be strong. We want to be powerful. And so Paul says, listen, that's not how you experience the power of God in your life. By pretending, by acting like you know, like you're strong and you've got it all together. That's not how you experience the power of God in your life. You could do that, he says, you could do that. You could, you, could, you could posture up. You can pretend to be powerful. And guess what's going to happen? You're just not going to experience his power. You're going to experience what you can provide for your life, which is your gifts, your talents, your abilities, whatever. That's what you're going to do. You're gonna, that's what's, what's going to happen. <clears throat> so Paul says, I delight in my weakness. Verse 10, he says, "From when I'm weak, and this is what he's basically concluding, when I'm weak, then I am strong. And so I see this as kind of a definition for what the full life is, is that we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and he begins this transformational work inside of us. Part of that transformation that occurs inside of us is that I am consistently saying, God, I am less than. I am not, I'm not, I can't live up to this. And then God steps into our life and he says, okay, I know you can't, but let me just change you so that you can start, so you can actually live out this life. And so Paul says, for when I am weak, when I realize that I'm weak, when I realize that I don't have it in me, then I am strong. Then I experienced really the power of God. This is life to the full. <clears throat> so how do we do that? How do we delight in our weaknesses? Uh, you're listening to me like, yeah, Rich, that, good sermon, but nah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I don't wanna really delight in my weaknesses. That doesn't sound very appealing. 
You know, every once in a while, I do come up with a very unappealing sermon title, Delighting Your Weaknesses. You know, we, it's like, yeah, I'll just pass on that one. But how do we do that? Well, I think it's in part is that you make more of Jesus. Make more of Jesus. And I know that you hear me say that and you're like, yes, I've got that. I'm doing that. Absolutely, man, I, I, I could, I'm making more of Jesus this Christmas. We've got lights and we've got a Christmas tree. We've got a manger in the yard. And, you know, we're, we're playing Christmas, not, you know, not the cheesy Santa music. We're playing the real Christian, Bible Christian music, you know. We're, we're just having, we're, we're, we're making more of Jesus. I mean, that's great, do that, but, but it's more than that. It's about making more of Jesus and also less of me. And that's not easy. It's never been easy. And I would say that in our culture, it's even, it's even harder in our culture because we live in a culture that's all about making more of ourselves. It's all about self-promotion. And so what I want to do is I want to share a few, a few things real quickly <clears throat> to help us kind of celebrate our weaknesses. Again, I, every time I say it, I know you're like, it's a shock. No, I'm not going to celebrate my weaknesses. But... <clears throat> One of the reasons it's difficult for us to do this is because we measure ourselves by our productivity and our accomplishments. Let me say it another way. To celebrate your weaknesses, do not measure your worth or value by what you produce and accomplish. During uh, my sabbatical, one of the things that became so clear to me was that a lot of my identity was found in the things that I was doing. I was finding a lot of worth and value in my productivity. And so we went on this sabbatical. It started in June of last year. And I'll tell you how, how bad it was, is that uh, it started in June, and for four weeks, it took me four weeks to stop checking my work email. Uh, like, <laughs> at one point, I sent an email to one of my staff, and like, they didn't even respond back. And I, you know, I kind of repeated the email, they still didn't respond back. And it was like they were just shouting at me, Rich, you're on sabbatical, stop checking your email. Like, that's what I felt. I have one friend who was pastors up in, in Waverly, he's like, bro, what's wrong with you? Like, he was kind of angry talking to me. Bro, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to be resting. Why is this so hard for you? <laughs> The hard reality was that it was revealing this lack of dependence on God for me. Like I felt it all depends on me. And so I was getting identity, I was getting value, I was getting worth out of producing, working hard. Well, I have a, a mentor coach that I meet with for last six years I've been meeting with him, one on, kind of a one-on-one -on -one thing monthly. His name is Ken Roberts, and, and so before the sabbatical started, he said, hey, we're going to walk through some questions. I'm going to give you some questions. I want you to write these down, and I want us to think about these questions before you enter into sabbatical, and I was kind of giving him all the reasons why it was so hard to go into sabbatical and why, you know, I don't know if I should do that. I mean, I was giving all kinds of excuses, and so here's the questions that he said. He says, is it possible, no, here's the first question, is it possible that you attach worth and value to being productive? Is it possible you attach worth and value to being productive? Second one really stabbed me in the heart. He says, do you feel ashamed that you are tired? 
If I was being honest, I would say yes. <clears throat> Do you think rest is for the weak? Is it possible you're not quite convinced that you can fully trust God? So we had these questions posed and we were talking through them before sabbatical started and it was just priming me to say, okay, you need to figure out how to detach yourself from production and, and accomplishments to find your worth and your value. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who know they need help and are willing to ask for it. My problem is I don't want to be rescued. I want to rescue. Uh, and honest, I'm, I'm saying this, and, and you might be thinking, oh, wow, Christy's sitting right there, and she knows. She's like, you want to talk to her about that? She'll tell you. Like, in our, we've had many arguments where she comes up with a problem, and I don't even listen to what she's talking about. I'm just like, let's figure out how to fix this problem, because that's my MO. I don't want to be rescued. I want to rescue. And I mean, it's not that hard to feel that way, right? Like, if, you, if there's a problem, fix it. Right? <clears throat> I mean, nobody goes and watches Superman, leaves the movie theater and says to themselves, man, I just, that was such a great movie and I wish I was that person hanging from the balcony that Superman had to rescue. That's not what we think. We walk out of Superman movies and man, I'm Superman. I'm Superman. And so over the last year and a half, the Holy Spirit's really been working in my heart and saying, Rich, there's only one who rescues, and it's not you. Listen, your worth, your value is not determined by your production and accomplishments. That's a second thing I think that's important for us is, a, is that it's why it's so difficult for us to make less of ourselves and more of Jesus, that we're constantly preoccupied with image management or image maintenance and concerned about what other people think. Let me say it this way. To delight in your weaknesses, you must let go of your preoccupation with what other people think. What do other people think about you? And does that determine how you posture up, how you pretend? And one of the main challenges I had when I was preparing for the sabbatical was this very question, what will people think? What would they think? Like I, in fact, I, I, I had been pondering sabbatical for a long time and I kept thinking that, what will people think? And it would, it would discourage me. I would just wouldn't even think about it. I wouldn't talk about it to anybody. I had all these, these conversations going on inside of my head, you know? Like, what will people think? And then people would, you know, who, who heard I was going on a three-month sabbatical would say, would say things like, oh, man, I wish I could take a three-month vacation. You're laugh, some of you are laughing, but some of you actually probably thought that when I went on sabbatical last year. And it was there. Or the thought that they might be thinking that I was somehow or another, you know, not doing well. And I was burning out. Well, then I even had my own inner dialogue telling myself that, well, they think that I'm a moral failure. But when I admitted to myself that I was truly weak and that I needed help, there was freedom there. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, don't, I don't know, I wish I knew had better words to communicate this to you, but there is freedom to be found 
when you stop striving. There's freedom to be found when you stop thinking that it all depends on you. There's freedom to be found when you truly trust Jesus with your life. You find freedom. I just know for myself that when I get too caught up with what people think, I'm, I feel bound, I feel in bondage. And trying to make more of myself, trying to walk a certain line, trying to pretend that I'm okay and I'm strong, but I'm not. And I think this is true for all of us, really. It's really in weakness that you will finally experience God's power and life to the full. Beautiful example of this is found in, with John the Baptist. Last week, we, we started out with John chapter one, where John, the apostle, not John the Baptist, John the apostle, uh, talks about the incarnation of Christ. And basically, the other Christmas story, as we talked about it last week, talks about the incarnation of Christ. And in John chapter one, he introduces John the Baptist. That might be a little bit confusing. Like if you've read John, some, some translations don't say John the Baptist, they just say John. And you're like, okay, which John are we talking about? John's at the title, John's in, you know, and all that. So, but it's John the Baptist. So there's two characters in this, in this chapter one. There's John and John the Baptist. And so this is what John says about John the Baptist. Verse six, he says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. So John the Baptist is gonna preach and everybody's gonna believe about the light, who is Jesus. John himself was not the light, he was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to the, everyone, was coming into the world. And so John the Baptist talks about John the Baptist, saying he's not the light. He's just pointing to the light. He's just a voice. He's not the message. He's just a voice talking about the message, the real message, which is Jesus Christ. And then if you go down to verse 21 in that, in that same chapter, what you'll find is that John, starts, John the Baptist starts gaining popularity. And now he's got these large crowds following him and he's baptizing in water. I mean, it's just pretty amazing, you know, things are happening in John's life. He's becoming a big influencer. People are following him. And I don't know if it's because of the nice beard he had. I don't know why they were following, but they were following him. It's because he was preaching the gospel. He was preaching repentance, right? And so in verse 21, you find that the, the religious establishment starts hearing about this and they want to know, who is this guy? Who is this new teacher that we keep hearing about that these crowds are just following him everywhere and they're just getting baptized in water left and, you know, left and right? Who is this guy? And so verse 21, it says, they're asking John, these religious leaders, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Like, are you a prophet from the old, the past? Are you one who's come back to life again? Are you Elijah the prophet? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Like, are you the Messiah? Are you a new prophet? He answered, No. Finally, they said, well, then who are you? Let me tell you something. On this question, this was John's opportunity, John the Baptist's opportunity. This was John where he could find him. I mean, he's got a lot of crowds following. He's an influence. He could have said, hey, if you want to follow me on Instagram, John underscore the Baptist. Just follow me on Instagram. Make sure you see the little blue check there because there's a lot of fakes out there. I didn't come up with that title. That was those guys over there. They thought it was catchy. <laughs> but yes, yeah, because I'm baptizing a lot of people. He could have done that. And you know what? People would have listened. People would have followed him. But he doesn't. This is his chance. Instead, 
Here's how he responds. He said, who are you? Tell us. Give us an answer so we can go back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. John says, I'm not him. I'm just a voice. I'm just a messenger talking about the light who has come. Next day, John is preaching to a crowd. There's a lot of people there. They're there because, I guess, again, he's just an influencer. They, they, they love what he's saying. There's, he's, he's attracted a lot of people. There's a large crowd now that are following him, and he's preaching to them, and, he's, and they're listening to what he has to say. And then John looks in the, in the horizon. He sees a figure coming up over the hill, and he's like, who is that? As the person gets closer, he realizes, oh, that's Jesus. But that's not just Jesus, my cousin Jesus. That's Jesus, the light of the world, Jesus. And he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want you to get this mental image of this. John's preaching. The crowd is watching him. They're looking at him intently. He's got their attention. And then he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They all turn and start looking at Jesus. And when that happens, suddenly John realizes, ah, this is why I'm here. It's not about me, it's about him. And so John makes this exclamation point in verse 30 of chapter three. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. More of Jesus, less of me. There's freedom to be found there. I remember like 15 years ago or so, um, we were like right in the middle of planting Life Church. There was a lot of challenges. There was money challenges. There was, you know, building. I mean, we had all kinds of challenges. But, um, and then Christy and I, my wife and I, there was a lot of things that we were just at odds about. It's a nice way of saying we were just arguing all the time. We're just at odds about some things. And, um, but her primary concern was that I was so focused in on this church and at the expense of my own kids, my own family. And we would argue about that. I mean, this was a theme that would come up on a regular basis and, and I, would, I would defend myself. And I'd say, well, what do you want me to do? You know, God called us here. Have all the right spiritual answers. <laughs> I remember like 15 years ago, we were sitting in the kitchen at the bar had, having just had an argument and, and uh, um, see, up to that point, I had just was pretty much posturing. I was saying to myself, Rich, you're strong enough. Rich, you're capable enough. Rich, you, you have all the abilities to make this happen. Rich, you, you could do this. And there was a lot of that talk going on inside my head and I, I remember we had just argued about this stuff and I was sitting there at the bar and I just said to her, it just came out. I said, I just, Christy, I just don't want to be like my dad. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now. I confessed weakness. 
I confessed some ulterior reasons of why I was doing what I was doing. And I'll never forget what happened that day. Christy didn't go down and reach for a pot and throw it at me. (laughs) Instead, she walked around the bar and she put her arm around me and loved me and teamed up with me. And what's so weird about that moment is that I was in the most vulnerable, weakest moment of my life and yet I felt the most free of my life. Because God's power is manifest in our weaknesses. God's power is manifest in our weaknesses. And I think as a church, this is what we're supposed to be. And I realize that when I say church, some of you are like, no, I don't think so, Rich. I've been to church before and, you know, I, something got uncovered or, or I confessed something and instead of actually being loved and cared for like Christy did, what I got was criticism and disappointment and, you know, people talking about me. They were talking about me. They weren't talking to me. So I don't know about that, Rich. I don't know if I want to do that. Church doesn't feel safe to me. And if that's you, I just want to say I'm sorry. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But I do want to share with you what I feel like God feels about you. Like you might be here this morning and you might be posturing up. You might be here this morning with a big pretend face on like everything's great. But you need to know that God sees it all. In fact, God has a list on you. Or he could have a list on you. He knows everything you've done. He knows if you left the house this morning completely at odds with your spouse and you were arguing, you were mad at each other, you were saying vile things to each other, and now you're here, just praise Jesus, hallelujah. <clears throat> he knows that. And he has a list, and you know what? Maybe he can enforce that list, but here's what I want to say to you. I bring good tidings of great joy. That's what Christmas is all about. Because despite the fact that there's a list on you, if you will confess your sins and make yourself weak and submit yourself to Jesus Christ, you, that list will be erased and you will find true freedom in life. This is what Christmas is all about. More of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. More prayer, less Instagram. More worship, less entertainment. More humility, less self-promotion. More rest, less proving. More connection, less production. More scripture, less screen time. More generosity, less entitlement. More grace, less gossip. More forgiveness, less resentment. More repentance, less justification. More of Jesus, less of me. Amen? Let's all stand. I think an appropriate thing for us to do as we prepare our hearts for Christmas is that we pray the prayer of John the Baptist. Amen? Like, do you, here's my question to you. It's not a rhetorical, it's a very real question. Do you want to experience the power of God in your life? Do you, do you want to, okay, let me make it more, more, Personal. Do you want to experience the power of God in your marriage? 
Do you want to experience the power of God in your, in your, with your relationship with your kids? Do you want to experience the power of God in your work environment? Do you want to experience the power of God with uh, those distant relationships that you have, those broken relationships with people in your, in your life? Then it's more of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. And it's amazing what happens because it's not what you do. It's what he does for you. Again, I stand here and I pinch myself because I could not be here in my own merit, my own strengths. It's impossible. Except for the transformational power of Jesus Christ. And he wants to do that for every single one of us. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us. And we have prayer teams here in left. I encourage you to step out while we're, while we're, worship, leading, while we're worshiping here in a second. But if you're here this morning and you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, if you're watching from Cedar Rapids or Wilton, you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to make that decision, but then let us know. You can let us know with that card in front of you. I promise you a life with more of Jesus and less of you is a life worth living. You will experience the power of God in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, Jesus, for everything that you have done in our lives. I thank you, Father, for that very first Christmas. And even though, Father, it seems like the the surroundings were very humble, the surroundings were very, uh, it seemed like even not powerful in many ways, yet in the middle of all of that, you demonstrated your power and gave us a Savior who would save us from our sin and give us a life to the full. And in this room right now, Father, there are individuals who need that Savior. Who have maybe postured up, who feel like they are entitled, who feel powerful, and yet life is not going the way they expected. Or maybe it is going the way they expected, but the surrounding, the people around them, the people in their lives are suffering as a result of it. God, you know who they are. You know everything about us. You have a list, but you're not utilizing that list against us. Instead, you're wanting us to just simply surrender and acknowledge our weakness so that we can experience your power in our lives. And so today, Jesus, we just simply open up our hearts and we surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name.